This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour open-line talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. To express your viewpoint, please call 804-754-1988. That's 804-754-1988. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. Is America a Christian nation? Should America be a Christian nation? And if America is or should be a Christian nation, how would we know that? What identifying factors, what identifying features would we look to, and how would others discern it? Would others discern it by a declaration that we're a Christian nation? Or would others discern it by the life of those who profess to be Christians? Today on Viewpoint, we're going to take a look at this Because the reality is that we can cry all we want about America being a Christian nation. We can go back and look at our godly heritage, however that might be construed. But if we're not living and obeying the God of that heritage, maybe our claim of being a Christian nation and a godly heritage is a kind of idolatry. Now that may be a strange way to look at it. You might think that's pretty strange. But in reality, it's not. At least, at the very least, we would be hypocrites. Maybe that's part of the reason why we're in such trouble today. Because in the reality, many of us claim to be Christian, but few live like it. So today on Viewpoint, we're going to take a look at all of this, and I'm glad that you've joined us. It's conversation with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms, and... The Jerusalem Post came out with a piece today. 45% of American adults believe the United States should be a Christian nation. Now, this is interesting coming from the Jerusalem Post, isn't it? 45% of American adults believe the United States should be a Christian nation. Those were the results published today by the Pew Research Center and finding that the modern support for Christian nationalist sentiment could be a threat to Jewish life in a pluralistic nation. Really? How could that be a threat to Jewish life in a pluralistic nation? Well, I suppose if you declared that Christianity was the official religion of America and that Christians then began to persecute Jews directly as a result, yes, you could do that. You could result in that. But would that be consistent with Jesus' view of what it means to follow him? We're going to be looking at that in the second half of the program here today on Viewpoint as Dr. Robert Jeffers joins us to talk about Jesus' longest message and perhaps his first message, first significant message that he gave as recorded in the Scriptures. If we just followed that message, America would be a different place. If Christians just followed that message, America would be a very, very different place. So we're going to have to talk about it with Dr. Robert Jeffress in the second half of the program here today. 
He's joining us from Dallas, Texas, and uh, that will be at the second half, as I said, of the program today. But in the first half, we want to lay the foundation for that. This matter of the United States being a Christian nation. The consensus of Christian faith as the foundation of America and its greatness actually is is replete in virtually every fiber of the original fabric of our country. In fact, all 13 of the original state constitutions refer to Almighty God as the author of liberty or declare reliance upon the hand and mercy of providence. George Washington, our first president, declared of all the dispositions and habits that lead to political prosperity, religion and morality are indispensable supports. When they used the word religion in that day, they were referring specifically to Christianity. A generation after the Constitution was adopted, when the French political observer Alexis de Tocqueville came over here from France to the United States in the mid-1800s, actually about 1830, to study the success of our country, he was greatly moved by what he found. He had observed how the how France had struggled after the French Revolution, enmeshed in the so-called Enlightenment, a secular humanist worldview. But in America, he found a nearly universal belief in the principles of the Bible as the basis for law and life. In fact, he wrote about that in his book, Democracy in America. He said, America is great because America is good. If America ever ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. But... We like to quote that passage. That's the most quoted passage from Alexis de Tocqueville. But more importantly, the first thing that he noticed, he said in his book, the very first thing that he noticed that really stood out to him was the fact that the country as a whole followed Christian ideals, principles, the laws, the institutions of the Bible. That is what he saw. He said it's not that everybody in the country is a Christian or professes Christ as his Savior, but the people as a whole are a God-fearing people and they espouse and accept, almost without exception, the principles of of the Bible for their lives and their practices. Now, that's amazing an amazing observation coming from Alexis de Tocqueville there in 1830. And indeed, it revealed what many have said is that America was a Christian nation. If you go back before the founding of the, the political founding of the country, with the establishment of a constitution and even before the Revolutionary War in 1776, you will find that the real foundations of America go back to, uh, one could say, 1607, with the landing of the folk there uh, in Richmond, Virginia, and along the James River, where, by the way, Captain James... I'm forgetting his last name now. Anyway, the captain, uh, Newport, uh, when he landed his boatload of people uh, there at the place of the falls called Richmond, Virginia, 
the official historical version of Richmond, Virginia, right there in page one, says that Captain Christopher Newport, when he landed, they planted a cross, prayed, and gave a great shout. Now, when they planted a cross, that meant they were claiming that for Christ. The cross, Christ, now we tend to have a crossless Christ in our churches today and in our country. But that wasn't the case then. You go to the pilgrims. You go to the Puritans, 1620 and 1630. We find the Bible at the very foundation of their colonies. What's happened? Where have we gone? Where have we gone wrong? Let's, let's talk about it. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chrismar, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's morals slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint. Today, in the first half of the program, we're talking about whether or not America is a Christian nation, and if so, how would you know it? And if not, why not? And so a Pew Research Center report, a survey, was published today indicating that 45% of American adults believe the United States should be a Christian nation. Should be. Many believe that it is. If you were to go back to the time when we formed Save America Ministries in 1993, at that time, 91% of Americans claimed to be believe in God, and approximately 75% claimed to be born-again Christians. That was then. Now we're almost 30 years later, and at this time, the figures are somewhat skewed, but in general, at this time, about 80% claim to believe in God, but only about 65% claim to be born-again evangelical Christians at best. What's happened? What has happened to America? Speaking of what has happened to America, it was about uh, 20 years ago, and I was flying across the country and had a layover in Cincinnati. As I was sitting there in the airport, A black gentleman uh, was sitting across from me, and we began to chat together, had a very nice conversation, and he told me that he was from Zimbabwe. And I said, oh, really? Okay, that's that's great. He said, well, I'd like to ask you a question. He said, when uh, there was a time when Americans would come to Zimbabwe and we would ask them, uh, what is it? that uh, has caused America to be so prosperous? What is it that has caused America to be so strong and so uh, seemingly to uh, 
lead the world. He said the missionaries would tell us that it's because America trusts God and obeys him. In other words, America is Christian. So this man from Zimbabwe then became very somber, and he said, what's happened to America? He said, my people are asking, what's happened to America? In other words, we're not seeing what the missionaries told us. We're not seeing that played out in the life of the American people. What he's really saying is, you don't look much like Christians to us. You don't look much like what the missionaries described as Christians to us. And that's our problem. It really is our problem, and we don't see ourselves the way we should. There's an old Scottish proverb that said, Would to God to gift to give us to see ourselves as others see us. In America, we see ourselves through our own eyes. But if we were to see ourselves through the eyes of others throughout the world, it's a very different picture. Very different. But here's the most important question. How does God see us? Mm. What is God's viewpoint of our country? What is God's viewpoint of professing Christians in America? Now, we have an election coming up soon, very soon. Israel has an election coming up on November 1st. Ours is on November 8th. And those two elections are going to have a salutary effect upon our world. And in many respects, they will be decided based upon whether the people are God-fearing or not. In Israel, whether or not uh, they believe uh, the Torah, whether they believe the prophets, the Old Testament, and so on, and whether they follow it. In America, it will be whether or not we believe what we say we are, that we're a nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all, a nation under God. But our founders, actually, the majority of them were Christians of one stripe or another. And... Because of that, their viewpoint was always in favor of what you might call, or what they called, virtue. Most of our founders identified one of the key characteristics of American life and the foundation for freedom as virtue. Virtue lost, all lost. So, Forbes magazine, its 75th anniversary edition, came out, I believe it was 1992. It is a huge magazine, about half an inch thick. And they devoted the entire magazine. Here's America's foremost business magazine devoting its entire 75th anniversary edition to asking the question, Whatever happened to virtue in America? Whatever happened to virtue in America? 
The word virtue is directly linked to liberty in the motto in the motto of Pennsylvania. Virtue is a big deal. So big a deal that Peter in his epistle said that we should add to our faith virtue. Well, what is virtue? Virtue is living according to the precepts announced by the scriptures and particularly Jesus himself. If we're to be a virtuous people, we will live according to the word, will, and ways of the Lord, won't we? If we're not living according to the word, will, and ways of the Lord, we're not a virtuous people. So, what do the peoples of our world, of other nations, how do they see America as a whole? Do they see us as a virtuous people? No. Do they see Christians as virtuous peoples? Not much. What do they have to look at? Are we emulating that which Jesus set forth in the scriptures? Are we emulating that which he set forth in the Sermon on the Mount? Not much. Not much, really. And that's our problem. Because if that's what the nations of the earth see, just imagine how God sees it. Because he's holy. And he said, be ye holy, therefore, for I am holy. When Israel began to wane, to walk away from godliness and godly living according to the scriptures, in other words, when they began to walk away from being a virtuous people from God's viewpoint, he removed them from their place of rest, Israel. Ultimately, he scattered them throughout the whole earth. So if God would respond to Israel called the apple of his eye, that way, when they waned continually in rebellion from living virtuous lives according to his word, how would he treat a Gentile nation like America? This is the kind of thing, this is the kind of question that we should be asking. This is the kind of question that the pastors of America should be asking their flocks. Because if we don't deal with these things head on and heart on, we're going to be in deep trouble, aren't we? It's indeed a shock to our systems when a fellow like Vladimir Putin says, I don't want Russia to become like America. I don't want Russia to emulate the moral decadence of America. What a shock to our systems. Because Americans think very poorly of Russia, and especially of Vladimir Putin. But he says, no, I want to protect Russia from that decadence. Hmm. Maybe that's a wake-up call for us. But how do we wake up? Where do we get the kind of direction that we need to move forward and regain the ground that we've lost 
the ground of virtue, the ground of truth, the ground of love, the ground of uh, uh, forgiveness, and so on, that Jesus announced in this tremendous speech that he gave on the Mount, not the Mount of Olives, but on the Mount of the Beatitudes. That's what we're going to take a look at in the balance of the program here today when joined by Dr. Robert Jeffress to talk about his new book, 18 Minutes with Jesus. So before that, I want to make available to you my book, Renewing the Soul of America. The late Dr. Bill Bright wrote concerning this book, As a country and as individuals, we stand at a crossroads to continue on the path to godlessness or to return to the way of righteousness. The way of righteousness is the way of virtuous living, friends, from God's viewpoint. So, renewing the soul of America, one person at a time, beginning with you. Here is an $18 book, yours for $15, on our website, saveus.org. It is a hope-filled book. It is a direction-filled book because every single chapter gives direction and hope for you and what you can do and be and become to restore the heart and soul of America. For instance, chapter 9 is called Our Sacred Honor. At the head of the chapter, if I would have honor, I must be honorable. If I would have honor, I must be honorable. Chapter 8, the lamp of virtue. If I would have virtue, I must be virtuous. If I would have morality, I must be moral. If I would have goodness, I must be good. Notice the word be. That is what is missing often in our lives, isn't it? We're full of God talk. We talk about what we believe, but our being is not reflecting what we say we believe. And therein lies, perhaps, one of the greatest problems that we have in our country. And if, indeed, what we say we believe becomes what we live, what we be, <laughs> then things would change, wouldn't they? Chapter 5 of the book is called Restoring the American Vision. There is no national vision without personal vision. Chapter 4 is called America's Search for Leaders. I must be what I should be if I would do what I must do. Notice it's always about being. How about the chapter on courage? Chapter 11, take courage. Courage is character in action. In other words, if I would have courage, I must be courageous. My very character must reflect that I am courageous. And so, today on Viewpoint, we're focusing on 
in the first half of the program on our country, whether or not it is truly a Christian country, as 45% of American adults claim in the latest Pew Research report that came out just this very day. Is it true? And if we say that it's true, then why is it that we're not perceived as Christian people around the world? Why is it our country is not perceived as a Christian country? Why is it that Vladimir Putin says, I don't want American values in my country because I don't want my country to be full of depravity like America? Vladimir Putin. So here's the question, not what Vladimir Putin thinks, but what does God think? Dr. Robert Jeffers joins us next. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, on the front page are two great videos. First, an interview and discussion of Chuck's book, Out of Egypt. Also, a great TV interview with Chuck regarding his book, Seduction of the Saints. Much more videos, a for pastors only section, and also you can view Chuck's weekly teachings. All at his website, saveus.org. That's saveus.org. Also on Chuck's website, listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast. Listen to the archives. Maybe you missed a program. Check it out at saveus.org. Also, there are some great resources, hospitality information, also information about marriage, divorce, and remarriage, newsletters, articles, prophecy, prayer and revival information, all at saveus.org. As we wrapped up the first half of the program today, talking about uh, what it means to be a Christian nation and how it requires virtue, virtuous living in our lives, I referred you to my book, Renewing the Soul of America. 38 national Christian leaders endorsed that book. Why? Because it took a very different approach to the problems in our country, and they realized that the answers lay right there within the pages of that book if we would only heed and hear. It's an $18 book, yours for $15 on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. You give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255, writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. All right, Dr. Robert Jeffers joining us at this time, and uh, it's good to have a reunion again. Uh, Robert, you and I have done this little do do for many, many years now, haven't we? <laughs> Chuck, it's always good to be with you, and yes, I've called you and talked from every payphone in the world. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that, say, some that, of your audience may not remember what a payphone is. Yeah. But. Well, that must mean that you have ADHD. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, somebody accused me of being the poster child for that. Uh, well, you know, uh, as I came across your book that has just come out, Robert, um, it reminded me of a time 
Uh, oh, it was when I was uh, studying for the California bar. Uh, this was many moons ago now. Uh, so this would have been around 1976, around our nation's bicentennial. And uh, I had unfortunately failed my first round on the California bar. And uh, so I had this hiatus of several months, and the Lord led me to begin to read, memorize, and meditate on the Sermon on the Mount. Three chapters, long chapters, three chapters in the book of Matthew. And as I began to do that, we had had some struggles in our marriage. Uh, We didn't eat, drink, or chew, didn't go with women that did. We were in the church two or three times a week, uh, true followers of Jesus Christ, but we were having tough times, a lot of stress in our in our relationship. And what happened is that as I began to read, memorize, and meditate the Sermon on the Mount, God began to do on the inside of my heart what I and my wife have been trying to do for the outside for seven years. And after 30 days of my doing this, even while I was preparing for the bar exam, taking valuable time at 5.30 in the morning to do this. My wife came to me one day. She says, you're different. You're very different. Hmm. And she began to see something dramatic having changed uh, changed in my life. As a result of that, uh, our marriage was changed. We began to do marriage seminars and so on up and down the state of California, have written books on it and so on. And so... The, the reality is that this message that you have brought here in this book, 18 Minutes with Jesus, uh, is critically important. That Sermon on the Mount was Jesus' opening statement, so to speak, to the world, wasn't it? Well, it was. I call it Jesus' TED Talk. <laughs> I mean, and that's really how I came up with the title, 18 Minutes with Jesus. You know, Chuck, I'm sure your audience uh, is familiar with the TED Talks. These are short talks Mm -hmm. given by an expert on a subject of great interest, and the key is they can only be 18 minutes. And I had this thought one day, what if Jesus Christ returned to Earth to give a TED Talk, what would he say? And then it hit me, Chuck, we already have Jesus' TED Talk. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. You can read it in 18 minutes or less. And even though it's brief, it covers the things that we care about. Uh, Straight talk, I say, from the Savior about the things that matter most. He talks about our prayer life. He talks about our sex life. He talks about our money. He talks about our eternal destiny. He talks about how we're to relate to a godless culture. But he didn't talk about climate control. He didn't (laughs) talk about climate control, though, did he? Well, he'd be a bad person probably to talk about climate control because, you know, the book of Revelation says he's the one who's going to come in his second coming and destroy the climate, the ecology, everything on this earth. (laughs) And also, he's the one that created it. That's right. (laughs) So there's some things that are important from God's viewpoint, and there are other things that uh, uh, are not quite so important. Well, that's right. And again... He talks about things that matter to him, but things that matter to us as well. 
And Chuck, that was a great testimony you gave about the Sermon on the Mount. I'm so ashamed to give my testimony about the Sermon on the Mount. My testimony is that I avoided preaching on it for 40 years. You've got to be kidding me. Ser- I have never done a series on the Sermon on the Mount. And there are really two reasons. I had two misconceptions about the Sermon on the Mount. First of all, I thought it was going to be boring. I mean, I shouldn't admit it, but boring. I thought it was going to be boring. Oh. I just had this idea, you know, and I think a lot of people had this idea that the Sermon on the Mount or the teachings of this little wimpy rabbi named Jesus who walked around munching bird seed and saying nice things to people. Well, it's the and most hyper-relevant passage in the Bible, really. Yeah, but I came, Chuck, and I imagine some of your listeners had this experience. I came out of a theological tradition and training that said the Sermon on the Mount has nothing to do with the here and now. It's the Constitution for the Millennial Kingdom. It's how we're going to act toward one another in the millennium. Are you kidding me? And that's what I was taught. So I thought, why do I want to spend Oh, my goodness. And really, on the surface, a glance at it, it seems like this isn't relevant for this world. Turn the other cheek when somebody slaps you. Pray for your enemies. I mean, that doesn't sound uh, relevant at all. But then, Chuck, it began to hit me as I read it. I mean, this isn't about heaven. I mean, turn the other cheek. If somebody slaps you, turn the other cheek. Who's going to be slapping whom in heaven? That doesn't make any sense. And then pray for your enemies. If evil's gone in heaven, who would be our enemies? And I came to understand the Sermon on the Mount is not for the hereafter. It's for the here and now. Even to reform a marriage that was struggling, uh, I tell you, uh, one day my wife came to me and she says, Chuck, I don't have any more feelings for you, and it scares me. Now, the word, the D word, divorce, was unspeakable in our marriage. We have never used that word ever, ever. Uh, But when she came to me and she says, Chuck, I don't have any more feelings for you, and it scares me. Boy, that kind of scared me, too. And I realized, uh, you know, I've, I've got to do something about this. Yeah. And about the same time, uh, I came into possession of a book by Martin Lloyd-Jones called The Sermon on the Mount. Yeah. So while I was reading that, and God was using that to pierce my heart, uh, at the same time, I was memorizing and meditating on the Sermon on the Mount, and boy, I'll tell you, God did a uh, heart surgery. Well, and that's what the whole Sermon on the Mount is about. It uh, has as a simple theme, those who model the attitudes, actions, and affections of Jesus can experience unshakable joy in this life and unending happiness in the next life. It really is the best way to live. Uh, there is a payoff for living the Jesus way right now. And my book, 18 Minutes with Jesus, is really an exploration of Jesus' words and how to apply them right now. Well, let's talk about this word, apply. I have a conviction, uh, Robert, and again, we're talking with Dr. Robert Jeffress, the uh, pastor of the uh, Dallas First Baptist, and uh, I, I have a, a conviction that our problem in our teaching and preaching is not so much that we don't preach information about the Bible. We preach and teach information about the Bible. In fact, we're obese with information. 
Our problem is we lack proper application. In fact, we're afraid of application because we're afraid of how people will respond. And that's one reason why the Sermon on the Mount would not be a good thing for a lot of pastors to preach on (laughs) because it is so hyper-relevant that if you're going to preach on it or teach on it with any level of integrity, it's going to it's going to touch your toes. It really is. It might squeeze them pretty hard sometimes, and you might get some reaction from your people. So when Jesus said, whoever divorces their spouse causes him to commit adultery, and whoever marries the one so divorced commits adultery, you're going to have some people in the pews who are going to say, what? What did you say? <laughs> and you say, that's what Jesus said. That's don't, what Jesus don't blame said. Me. Blame <laughs> Jesus. Thank you very much, Robert. <laughs> Okay, well, that's I, right. You know, I, I used to have a, a seminary professor, a mentor for so many years, Dr. Howard Hendricks at Dallas mm-hmm. Seminary, and he used to tell us, he said, men, remember, God didn't give us the Bible to make us smarter sinners, but more devoted disciples. And, I like you know, that. I think that's what you're talking about. We have way too much information without application. I mean, the truth is you can't apply what you don't know. But you can know a lot you don't apply. Exactly. that You've got such wonderful phrases you come up with, uh, Robert, and I appreciate it. But without the application, we get no transformation. Yeah. So information yeah. without application leads to pride, leads to uh, stubbornness, and so on. But in order to get transformation, we must have proper and complete application. And that's the foundation for repentance, that's the foundation for uh, confession, uh, for coming clean with God and being restored in our relationship, and that's the root of being happy or blessed, isn't it? Absolutely. And, uh, you know, again, to quote my mentor, Dr. Hendricks, he said, information without application is spiritual abortion. And I Whoa. think that's a Wow. We'll be right back after this. A wonderful book by Dr. Robert Jeffress, 18 Minutes with Jesus, $27 hardbound, just hot off the press. Get it on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. We'll be right back. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Welcome back to Viewpoint, friends. The world, all over the world, Uh, In Israel and in America and in many places of the world, there is an expectation, a messianic expectation, 
Now, it may not be expecting the return of Jesus, but it's still a messianic expectation. In fact, in Israel now, the expectation of Messiah has moved in the last 30 years from about 16% to 65%. Something is happening in our world. Something is happening in Israel. Something is happening in America. Something is happening all over the world. The problem is that our world is creating its own counterfeit messiahs. And so you know in my latest book, Messiah, Unveiling the Mystery of the Ages, that uh, this is a very serious thing. Now, I bring this up not to promote that book, but to say if Yeshua, Jesus, is returning soon, and we see the signs, we see the signs, would we not want to get in tune with his lead message? The Sermon on the Mount, which encapsulates almost the fullness of his ministry, would we not want to align our lives with that? I would think so. What about you, Robert? Oh, absolutely. And I think it's probably the most positive witness we can have to this darkened and decaying world we're living in of the validity of Christianity by living out the Sermon on the Mount in our lives. Isn't uh, the Sermon on the Mount, to to use uh, language that uh, uh, we might describe more in secular terms, it describes what a truly virtuous life looks like, doesn't it? It does, and and we need to be clear, this isn't a checklist of things you do to get into heaven. Mm-mm. It's impossible to live by these standards uh, without the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us. Right. And that Spirit only comes when we know Christ is our Savior. But once we have the indwelling Holy Spirit, we can live this way. You know, Jesus continually through this sermon says, you've heard it said, you know, you shall not murder, uh, you shall not commit adultery. All of these were the rules the, fella, the rules the Pharisees kept. They said, as long as we can check off I hadn't killed anybody today and I hadn't slept with somebody else today, I must be righteous. And Jesus said, no, it goes far beyond that. To even hate anybody is the same as murder. Uh, adultery, it doesn't begin in the bed. It begins in the head. It begins with lust. Yes. If you have lust for another person, you've committed adultery. And again, he's not trying to make our lives miserable. He's saying, I designed your life. I made you. I know how you can have the greatest amount of joy and happiness, and here's the way to do it. So when Jesus says, be ye holy, for I am holy, what he's doing is setting out here, without using that that word in the Sermon on the Mount, he's actually describing the holy life of a true follower of Christ. That's exactly what it is. And it's uh, in every area of life. Like we said, it's not just in our sex life or how we deal with our enemies, but it's in how we handle our money. It's how we pray. He's given us a basic constitution for life, not in the hereafter, but in the here and now. I'm going to run through some of these chapters uh, for our listeners because I I like the way you uh, set this out. Straight talk about your happiness. Straight talk about your faith. Straight talk about your relationships. Straight talk about your sex life. Straight talk about your adversaries. Straight talk about your church. Straight talk about your prayer life. Straight talk about your money. Straight talk about your needs. 
and straight talk about your eternal destiny, a call to radical righteousness. Well, Robert, this covers the the gamut, doesn't it? <laughs> well, I didn't come up with the topics Jesus did. I was just outlining <laughs> the things that he chose to talk about. And, you know, um, we go through all of that, but Jesus says it saves the most important for the very last when he talks about a straight talk about your eternal destiny. You know, contrary to the common thinking today, uh, there's not one destination that everybody will enjoy when they die. Jesus made it clear there are two distinct roads in life you can take that lead to two very different destinations. There is that broad road that most people are on that leads to everlasting hell. But there's a narrow way, a narrow road that leads to eternal life, and few are those who find it. And you know, Chuck, I've had people say to me through the years, well, when you say Jesus is the only way to heaven, that means billions and billions of people are going to spend eternity in hell. How could such a thing be? How could so many people be wrong? And yet that's exactly what Jesus predicted. The population of heaven is going to be relatively small compared to the population of hell. Well, the word that the Bible uses to describe that is a remnant. And a remnant, uh, I, I, I grew up in a pastor's home. And uh, my father was a home mission type pastor. Uh, he started small churches in our home, by the way, and uh, then also pastored a number of other smaller churches. Well, he did not have much in the way of this world's goods. Uh, but we always had our needs met. And what I discovered is that... Uh, when we grew up, my father, uh, he, tr- he trusted the Lord at every point. We, we knew that God was going to provide, so we didn't worry. He worked hard, he preached hard, and uh, we didn't have to worry. The Bible talks about not having to worry, doesn't it? Jesus it speaks about that right here in the Sermon on the Mount. Take no thought saying. That's right, and he ties worry to wealth. Worry and wealth go hand in hand. People who have a lot of money are afraid they're going to lose it. Did you know that Mark Zuckerberg just? Did you know that Mark Zuckerberg just lost sixty-five percent of his wealth in Facebook? And that's why Jesus said, don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth for moth and rust destroy or thieves break in and steal. I mean, when you think about it, Chuck, only three things can happen to your money, and none of them is good. You can either lose it, or you can have it stolen from you, or you end up leaving it all behind. But none of those things is going to help you in the long run. And that's why Jesus said, look at the birds of the air. They don't stay up at night fretting over their finances. (laughs) <laughs> Their Heavenly Father provides for them. Will he not do much more for you? Isn't that the attitude of trust and expectation that is going to be foundational uh, for us to be able to stand in the evil day? I mean, we see what's happening. Persecution is rising dramatically, uh, not just around the world, but in America. We're being warned. Yeah. We're being warned from across the country. The uh, uh, Pastor Brunson came out uh, at the Feast of Tabernacles and gave an address 
in Israel, warning Christians about the persecution to come. He said, please do not take this lightly. It's coming. And Jesus talked about that in the Sermon on the Mount, didn't he? He absolutely did. And in fact, Chuck, in all of his teaching, he didn't, you know, the old song, I never promised you a rose garden. Jesus didn't promise us a rose garden in this life. He said in John 16, 33, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. But then he added, be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. And that's what uh, really the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount is about. Mm -hmm. He lists what we call the Beatitudes, and he says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for there shall be the kingdom of heaven. There's short-term pain, but there's long-term gain. I I use this illustration in the book, 18 Minutes with Jesus. Just imagine you can't make your house payment barely every month or scrapping by trying to Uh, provide for your family, you live day to day, but then you get word that your uncle has left you in his will for $10 million. That's the good news. The better news is he's 99 years old. Now, (laughs) that knowledge wouldn't change your day-to-day existence, but it would give you a new perspective about your so-called suffering. You would realize payday is coming, and that's what Jesus is saying. You can be blessed. You can be joyful right now in light of what is coming in the future. All right. For many years now, with growing anticipation and intensity, uh, on this program, I have been urging people, and pastors actually, I've been urging pastors to get serious about preparing their people to endure to the end. Jesus said, blessed that that, Only those who endure to the end shall be saved. There is an aspect to this that American churchianity does not want to accept. Therefore, people are being set up, I'm afraid, uh, with a kind of easy believism. I'm out of here, don't have to be concerned about anything, rendering all the warnings of Scripture moot for American Christians. To me, that's very dangerous and it's very serious. What do you say? Oh, I do, and that's why I had Pastor Brunson come to our church last year to share his testimony. It was very sobering. I mean, the fact that he went through what he did as a believer. And look, I we may differ on this. Eschatologically, I do believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. I think we will be taken out of here before the final seven years, but that doesn't mean we're going to be exempt from persecution. Christians around the world are suffering right now tribulation and persecution. And that's why I think you're exactly right. We don't need to confuse the eschatology of the rapture and tribulation and see that as a get-out-of-tribulation pass uh, without any suffering. I mean, it doesn't happen that way. No, it doesn't. We don't have to worry about the wrath of God, but we do have to worry, not worry, but prepare for the wrath of man. There you go. That's exactly what... uh... Uh, forget about terms like uh, pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, or pan-trib. Forget about those terms because they get we get all tangled up. To say what you just said cuts through it all. We have to be prepared. Be prepared. There's going to be tribulation. There's going to be persecution. And we're not supposed to undergo the wrath of God. But the wrath of man? Yes, unfortunately, We must be prepared. That's a restatement of what you said, isn't it? That's a perfect restatement of it. And 
And look, and in the midst of it, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, we can be joyful, not happy. Happiness is dependent upon happening, circumstances. But joy is that calm assurance that God is in control and will ultimately reward our faithfulness to him. All right, friends, a hardbound book. Dr. Robert Jeffress, 18 Minutes with Jesus, straight talk from the Savior about the things that matter most, right out of the Sermon on the Mount. I've been on that mount, overlooking the Sea of Galilee. Uh, I I still remember it in my mind's eye, uh, Robert, as I spoke to people there, and it started to rain. But uh, it's it's an amazing thing to, to walk in the places that Jesus walked. But now we get to talk the things that Jesus talked. And uh, here it is, the book, friends, 18 Minutes with Jesus, a hardbound book, $27, right there on our website, saveus.org. You want to be encouraged? You want to be strengthened? You want to be given God's viewpoint? Remember, viewpoint determines destiny. We want God's viewpoint. We want Jesus' viewpoint, don't we? That means we have to agree with what he says. And here it is. It's all laid out. And Pastor Jeffress calls it straight talk. Well, it is. It's very straight talk. It's simple. Anybody can understand it. And if there are things that you don't understand, well, here's what we do. Ask God, what does this mean? Please reveal to me how this must apply in my life. And when you do that, I want to be doer of your word and not hearer only. Isn't that how we should respond, Robert? That's exactly it. You should have written the book, Chuck. Ah, well, we're writing it together. You know, I this has been a life message for me for uh, uh, well over 40 years now. Thank you so much for joining us again, Robert. I uh, appreciate your friendship. If you're able to stay on the line, I'd like to chat with you just briefly afterward. But friends, uh, become a partner with us. Send your gifts by faith to Save America Ministries, uh, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Go to the website, saveus.org. Make sure you get a copy of 18 Minutes with Jesus by Dr. Robert Jeffress. It'll encourage your heart. We need all the encouragement, all the strength, all the direction we can get for times like these, don't we? God bless. Be a blessing. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.